Welcome to Let the Boys Kiss, the creation of queer ships, where we ask the question, is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? This week, we'll be discussing Finn and Poe from the more recent Star Wars trilogy. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. Have you ever been watching a movie or TV show and seen two characters, most likely cis men, repeatedly have clearly emotionally intimate and potentially sexually charged encounters, but that show or movie will not let them kiss? And it forces you, the viewer, to yell, let the boys kiss. If yes, this might be the podcast for you. So what is this phenomenon? Well, it might be queer baiting which is usually defined as a writer implying but never making explicit a same-sex romance in a work of fiction in an effort to attract a queer audience without alienating their straight audience. It might be queer coding, which is when a creator uses subtext to indicate that a character is queer, but it's never made explicit in the text. It might even be queer canon. The canon of a work of fiction is the official text. So when a creator lets the boys kiss, that's queer canon. So what's our goal with this podcast? I'd say we're broadly interested in this intersection between creators and fans. And queer baiting is kind of a good lens through which to view their interactions. Right. So on the one hand... The experience we described at the top of yelling at our screen, let the boys kiss, is one we've both had. So it's something we can relate to. Oh, boy, can we. (laughs) And at the same time, right, this is definitely something that people are passionate about. So we expect to see a lot of fan production around it. And we think it's a a lens that will really allow us to, to sink our teeth into a lot of material and content. So who are we? Who are you? Who am I? Why are we doing this? So we're just a couple of gal pals, a couple of friends, longtime buddies that are interested in this topic, maybe, you know, for slightly different reasons. Uh, so, for instance, why does this interest you specifically? Well, for me, it's sort of a uh, longtime listener, first time caller sort of situation. I've been tangentially involved in fandom for a long time. Uh, I read some fan fiction. I follow some folks on Tumblr. I love a good chip set. But uh, I've never participated in the sense of creating content or even really interacting with other people online about it. So for me, it's just a way to dig into this phenomenon that I'm fascinated by where fans expand on worlds created by writers. How about you? What's your connection to the topic? So I think I'm coming at it from maybe even one more step removed. I've definitely always been interested in the type of fiction that seems to really um, engender very active fan communities. Uh, And while I certainly enjoy talking about the things I love, I enjoy a critical essay, a critique. uh, I've never been really into what is called quote unquote, transformative fandom. So this idea of fans uh, creating fan works or somehow transforming the fiction into something new. Uh, But I do obviously understand that it appeals to a lot of people. (laughs) Uh, I'm very interested in why that is and what motivates people to participate in the production and consumption of fan fiction and fan theories, etc. And I think like you, it's something I've been interested in for a long time, but have never 
found the time to really dive into. And this podcast is going to be uh, a great reason to do that. So I'm excited about this project. And who knows, maybe by the end of it, I'll be a, as they say, a changed man and won't be able to keep me from reading fan fiction. I think I've got a new goal here, and that's producing a fan fiction convert in you. Well, we'll see what happens. So, Maddie, uh, we're discussing Finpo this week. Uh, mm-hmm. Who are they? What's their deal? What are we talking about? Well, Finn and Poe, or as they're called on some corners of the internet, Storm Pilot, which I don't accept as their ship name, uh, are a couple of characters from this most recent trilogy of Star Wars films. Sources we're looking at, similar to last week, are just the three movies that they're in, which are, this is going to be a test. (laughs) The the first one is, uh, which is episode seven, is... Rise of Skywalker? Nope. <laughs> the Force Awakens. Force Awakens. The second one, episode eight, is The Last Jedi. And then the ninth one, episode nine, is Rise of Skywalker. I knew it was in there somewhere. You nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, now, we have both seen all three of these movies, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> but on that note, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> We're not going to spend a ton of time talking about opinions about the films or even really an extensive recap of the films because it, it, as you'll see, doesn't really matter to this conversation. Yes. And this podcast is going to be a little bit of an exercise in Maddie keeping me focused because uh, I will complain about these films. Yes. And I don't want to get derailed too much. Before we get into it, would you say you are generally a Star Wars fan? I would say I'm a very casual Star Wars fan. I have seen all of the movies. I have not rewatched any of the prequels. I've seen all the originals, but probably only a couple of times in my life. And then I've seen each of the new ones once when they came out. So I would not by any means call myself some sort of massive fan of the franchise. I don't know as much about it as lots of people in my life. Probably you as well. Tell me how you feel about this franchise. (laughs) So I like Star Wars. It's not one of my favorite things in the world, but I've I've watched the original trilogy numerous times. I have no idea how many. Mm -hmm. Um, I've watched the prequels multiple times, but I'm not into like anything beyond the movies. I haven't watched any of the TV shows. I didn't read any of the extended universe books. You're not Clone Warsing it up? Not Clone Warsing it up. So, yes. Uh, so, I would say I, generally I like Star Wars. I, I, there are things about the prequels that I really enjoy, but maybe in the so bad it's good sort of realm. And then yeah. as we're not going to get into, I find these new movies to all be bad and irritating, which I think is partially due to the fact that I do not like J.J. Abrams. Yeah, um, you got a strong distaste for J.J. Abrams. But otherwise, like, you know, there's people like who love The Last Jedi and hate the J.J. Abrams one, who love the J.J. Abrams one and hate The Last Jedi. Yeah, I will say, though we're not going to get into it, I am more on the side of The Last Jedi folks than the others, though I don't have, like, The Last Jedi supporters, but I don't have strong, strong feelings either way. And I think they're like it. The prequels are all bad in the same way because obviously they're all George Lucas, like to the max. So that yeah, all three of them are very similar in how they're bad. And I think these new ones are all very bad, but in different ways, which is why you can spend more time complaining about yes. all of them. But again, we're not going to do that. No. What we're going to do is go through a very snappy little recap 
of the moments that exist in the story of Finn and Poe. And it will be quick because there are so few moments <laughs> in the story of Finn and Poe to get into. So we will start with episode seven, which as I correctly said is called The Force Awakens. Yeah, you know that. Directed by J.J. Abrams, written by Lawrence Kasdan, J.J. Abrams and Michael Arndt, and came out all the way back in 2015, if you can remember that far back. And of course, Lawrence Kasdan <laughs> was brought in from the original series. He wrote Empire and uh, uh, hmm. Return, the other of, Return of the Jedi, right? Okay. I don't know that I will go with you on that. Now that there's so many of them, it's all it's all Jedi word salad. Side note, how many of them have had Jedi in the title? None prequels. of the prequels do. Uh, so yeah, just just the third one and the ninth one. And nope, yet it feels the like third so one many. And the seventh one. The third one and the eighth one. It's just the third the one and the third eighth one. one and the eighth one. <laughs> yes. We digress. Take me through the beats of the first movie that are just Finn and Poe beats. There should be like maybe three of them. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Finn, of course, is a stormtrooper. And in this mm -hmm. new trilogy, uh, stormtroopers are now orphans who have been forced to become stormtroopers. Yeah. They're so, like children that are stolen. We've run out of clones somehow. Um, maybe they lost the technology. Well, <laughs> uh, we know that they're still cloning technology and we're not going to talk about it. Okay. Exactly. So Finn is a stormtrooper. <laughs> He's with Kylo Ren. They go down to a planet because they're looking for the map to Luke Skywalker and Poe has it. Shoot, shoot, bang, bang. Oh no, we killed this old man. Finn is very traumatized. So Poe gets captured. Finn decides he does not want to be a stormtrooper. So he breaks Poe out of jail and they go and get a ship together. At this point, Poe asks Finn what his name is. He tells him that he doesn't have a name. He just has its designation, which is FN some kind of numbers and Poe's like, I'm going to call you Finn. It's very cute. It's pretty cute. He names him. It's their first, you know, big connection. And they already, they got chemistry. They're vibing. Oh, the chemistry is off the charts from scene one. But they end up getting shot down. And somehow when they crash land, Poe is no longer there. Uh, Finn assumes, of course, that he's like flown out of the ship at some point and died. Mm -hmm. uh, but he still has his jacket. Boy, does he make use of it. He yeah. finds the jacket. He thinks Poe's dead. So he starts wearing the jacket as a tribute to his lost buddy. Right. And uh, proceeds to wear it for the rest of the movie. Yada, yada, yada. A whole film happens. We get to the end. And finally, the two are reunited in the most spectacular way. So Finn sees Poe. He's amazed he's alive. And, mm -hmm. and what happens when Finn sees Poe from across the, the base? Yeah, the across like an airfield, the two of them literally run into each other's arms <laughs> and hug intensely. <laughs> The, the hug is, uh, you might say, more intense than you would expect for two guys that have only known each other for a very short amount of time. Yeah, for what seemed like a couple of hours, uh, it's it's one of the most intense hugs I've ever seen. Uh -huh. uh, Poe uh, grips Finn by the back of the neck and then buries his head like into his shoulder. Oh, yeah. It um, is the definition of intimate. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they make the most of it. They're really doing the most with this hug. 
Uh, and then they, they have to comment on the fact that Finn is wearing Poe's jacket. Finn tries to give it back to him and Poe pulls a, you know, keep it. It suits you sort of line. Yeah. Uh, it's super flirty, very romantic. And uh, at the very least, we've got sort of like a lust at first sight relationship going on with these guys. <laughs> So that's pretty much what happens in the first movie. That's about yep. the whole thing. Um, I think, like you just said, where we are with them right now is they've got mad chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> it's just jumping off the screen. Uh, whether or not they're in love or just in lust, potentially hard to say, but they are certainly at least in lust. I, like... It's a it's an extraordinary hug. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think if you're listening to this, you've probably seen these movies, but it's worth a rewatch. The hug is it stops you in your tracks. It's a, it's quite the hug. Don't rewatch the movies. Just find a GIF set of it. You can just That's look what at I the, meant. Yeah. the hug is worth a rewatch. <laughs> Don't rewatch this whole movie just to see this hug. Just Google Finn Poe hug. A, a lovely GIF or GIF if you prefer set will come up and you'll go. Wow, he's really gripping his neck. <laughs> he is really hugging him. Uh, so anyway, that's where we where we are with these two. This is sort of the beginning, the genesis of the ship. Uh, it's a few minutes of screen time altogether, <laughs> and uh, has launched, you know, quite the ship. Yep. And so, following, you know, the Force Awakens, of course, there was a lot of back and forth about whether or not it was. Good. And while we aren't going to get into it, we're not going to get into it. We're not going to get into it. One of the main takeaways is people said they generally like the new characters. So we Mm -hmm. were all going, okay, let's get to our second movie in our trilogy. Let's see what this Ryan Johnson guy is going to do with these new characters that we like. Ryan Johnson, who I very much enjoy. Yeah. Ryan Johnson has a lot of other good things going on in his work. So we get to The Last Jedi. It's released two years later in 2017. Uh, It's written, directed by Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson (laughs) is steering the ship at this point. So how does he build on these characters and these relationships we've established, Maddie? Well, in the case of this particular relationship, he kind of does the opposite of building on it. He uh, took these two with all of their chemistry and everything that that entailed and thought, I should separate them for the entire film. Nobody wants to see them on screen together. That's definitely not what I want to do. Let's just send them each in different directions. And uh, that'll be that. I would say the beats of their story in the second are, they sort of make a plan at the beginning of the, of the movie. And the plan is they'll split up (laughs) and go their separate ways. And then at the end of the movie, they see each other again, but they're busy with the mission and they don't even get like, uh, you know, an episode seven quality hug. No. When, um, when Finn and Rose come back at the end, they just go, oh, wow, you're alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. That's the entirety of their uh, reunification. Yeah, the dynamic stays the same. Nothing happens. Nothing grows. Nothing gets worse. They just literally the nothing happens. Yeah. 
So, moving right along <laughs> to episode nine, The Rise of Skywalker, we're back in J.J. Abrams' land, though this one is written by him and Chris Terrio. So, okay, we get into this one. And honestly, if we're, if we're viewing this through Finn Poe ship lens, it starts in kind of a good place for them. Clearly, they've been hanging out in the intervening time between the last movie and this one. They're living on a ship or whatever together. And I think they're doing missions. I think yeah, everyone's kind of set on that jungle base, but they're off mission. Yeah. I think we meet them for the first time in this movie on a ship. On a ship. Yeah. And they're hanging together. They seem to be playing some sort of board game. They're having little married couple fights. They're just, you know, like vibing. <laughs> the two of them are clearly in a good place in their relationship. But uh, then what happens in the movie? Yeah, so they're on the ship together and they are getting information about a spy and then they return to the base with this information. I don't know if that information includes the fact that the emperor is alive or they just find out there's a spy. Let's just not get into the whole the emperor is alive thing. But uh, what they've got to do is they've got to go on a a series of fetch quests to get a series Mm -hmm. of MacGuffins to Mm -hmm. end up with the emperor uh, and they do go out together as, you know, our main three, but there's not a lot of uh, time for character. Events happen, quests happen, and then both of our boys get thrown into the paths of some various ladies that we have not met before this movie. So we get to the end of the movie, you know, they've defeated the Empire yet again, and then they're back on the, the base. And they hug. There's another hug. Almost... The same intensity of the first hug. Definite neck grabbing again. That, might, I, that has to be, I guess, like Oscar Isaac's signature hug move because <laughs> it is coming out in force. Uh, but do they kiss? They don't kiss. It's devastating. That's the one thing that could have saved this film. This whole trilogy, really. Yeah, it all would have been worth it. But alas, that's the end. That's the end of all three. That's the full recap. So... The only other thing to discuss, I think, specifically in this text with things that happen, is the presence of the various women and how they play into these guys' lives. So I think we've mentioned before the concept of like a, a, quote, no homo lady as a random female character with not a lot of development just thrown into the path of a male character so as to keep them from being, you know suspected of loving their much closer male friend. (laughs) So in the case of these films, we have sort of a lot of that going on. I think it's probably worst in the last movie. But um, in the first one, I think you, they were expecting folks to ship Ray and Finn together. Um, Though that obviously evolved into something very different. (laughs) So then when we get to the second movie, they have introduced this new character of Rose Tico, who becomes a lightning rod for the fandom. <laughs> she really does. She's the one that Finn goes off on his adventure with. Mm-hmm. They do kiss at towards the end of The Last Jedi. There we go. Yep. That's what that one's called. But Finn doesn't seem into it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, You know, it's just a thing that's happening and he gets through it. Uh, But again, that ends up not getting paid off because of the events of the third movie, which we will get into a a much, much more deeply later in terms of how Rose 
was reacted to by the fandom and then how that reaction was handled by the studio and the creators of the films. But suffice it to say, she's almost written out of the third movie. She has hardly any role. So in the third movie, we throw a couple of new female characters into the mix. Um, There is a woman named Jana that Finn ends up doing some missions with. I really couldn't tell you anything about her character. What what are we supposed to think about her? She's literally girl Finn. She she's is a girl version of another Finn. Another black character who was also an orphan turned stormtrooper who stopped being a stormtrooper. Yes. So a lot of intense characterization going on there. Then we also are introduced to someone from Poe's past who is... Carrie Russell, but you would never know it because they cover her face for the entire movie. Uh, but yeah, she's someone that supposedly he's known a long time and, you know. They have they, a past. But again, we don't know a ton about her. And at and, the end of the movie, Poe kind of makes eyes at her, like, you want to you want to get out of here? And she's just like, no. And he's like, which, okay. He, to be fair, I like that about her. The point is, there's no development for these characters. They're not really established. It's a weird last minute thing throughout all of these movies that they keep introducing new characters as they're going through the films, despite the fact that most of the characters they have end up being undercooked, not having satisfying arcs. They just keep like being like, maybe this character will work. Can we make an action figure out of this character? I don't know. Keep trying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're really throwing, you know, the kitchen sink at what's going on here and with varying degrees of success. So that's where we are with what happens in the movies and the canon of the ship. But to me, that's not really the interesting thing about this ship at all. The Where we get into the interesting part of the ship is, uh, again, the fandom creator interaction, but most particularly, the interesting thing about this ship is Oscar Isaac yeah. in particular. In some ways, right, this is almost the inverse of the MCU where we had a lot of content and there, there and text to work with and not so much on uh, people's reading of it or what the performers were doing necessarily. And this is, there's not as much there, there, but oh boy, is Oscar Isaac doing things? Yes. So Oscar Isaac kind of stands alone in terms of actors speaking out in, in favor of a ship in a way that I have never seen any other actor do in my entire life. I have seen actors, you know, when questioned about a, a ship with their character, say like, oh, that sounds fun, or haha, that could be interesting, or, you know, maybe so, or, or try to wink, wink, nudge, nudge about it. I have never seen the full court press of Oscar Isaac, where every time this man is put in front of a camera and a microphone he is out here unironically not jokingly saying finn and poe are in love why can't they be together (laughs) these two are a romantic pairing and why won't disney let them be canon like this is the vibe of every oscar isaac interview so i think what we want to do right is we compiled a list of oscar isaac interview quotes about the Finn Poe, and we're just gonna we're just gonna take turns reading through them. Would you like to start? Sure. Uh, so we have him saying, "I think Poe takes his love for Finn very seriously." 
I think it's very subtle romance that's happening. You just have to look very closely. But there was. Particularly the dynamic between these two men during war and falling in love with one another. Personally, I kind of hoped and wished that maybe Finpo would have been taken further. It seemed like a natural progression. I thought Poe and Finn could have been boyfriends, but that was not explored. Really, there could have been a very interesting forward thinking, or not even forward thinking, just like current thinking love story there. Something that hasn't been explored yet. These guys love each other. I would think that would be a great way for the story to go, and a more original one. It's been more of a subtextual kind of maybe romantic relationship with Finn. I was playing romance. It seemed a natural progression, but it's a time, sadly, when people are too afraid, I think. Now, this is just a random sampling of things that he has said, but as you can see, it is not like a one-time thing that he happened to mention that he supported the ship. He is the captain of the fan club for this Finpo pairing, and he will not be quieted about it. <laughs> he wants everyone to know that he is not in favor of whoever has made the decision to keep these two apart. Right. And we can also, I would guess, right, make the um, assumption that this position is coming through in his performance. So even if the script is not giving him a lot to work with, he is, he is that's the story he wants to be telling. And I think through those those neck grabs and head nuzzles he's doing his best to tell that story he specifically says i was playing romance like he wants you to know when you're watching it if you're seeing romance in his actions they are supposed to be there and i think that is uh supported by a lot of things that the other half of our ship john boyega has also said um he is probably not flying the flag quite as you know proudly as Oscar Isaac, but he, I would say, also has said plenty of things that show that he would also have been in favor of this becoming a canon relationship in the film. And he sort of, he also has referenced the infamous neck grab that we have talked about (laughs) in a quote where he's talking about uh, how the two of them would play up the ship as much as they could on screen. And he mentions the hugs with the hand on the back of the neck. And he's thinking, okay, Oscar, you're giving them a little nugget. It's his quote. Uh, we all said from him. Okay. Finpo is going to last. It cannot be stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, as I said, Oscar and I would play up Finpo up a little bit. Uh, and then I think the last quote we have from him is Finn and Poe. Oh, this is about the beginning of the third movie specifically. Finn and Poe are used to each other's energy. They're used to each other's way of life. The relationship is closer than ever. It truly is. Um, So the two of them, I think, are sort of together on this team of trying to say publicly that they wanted the story to be something that it ended up not being. And the two of them are not shy, really, about calling out the specific, you know, entities that prevented this from happening, which is its own really interesting dynamic of the press tour and these two actors and their relationship with Disney and the creators of the films. Uh, And from what we've seen from the rest of the cast, right, they too are supportive of the thin Poe of it all. Very much so. There's a delightful series of interviews where 
tons of actors. I think it's Naomi and Kelly and Daisy, Oscar, John, just tons of them in different groups all get asked if they, you know, which they think is the more powerful ship, Finpo or Raylo. And to an actor, every single one of them says Finpo, <laughs> including, and this is my favorite part, Daisy Ridley, who is sitting next to J.J. Abrams in this interview, who says that she would pick Finpo. She says, I would say they're more powerful. Their chemistry is undeniable. <laughs> and J.J. Abrams is just sitting there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, there's another interview with with our our three leads, Oscar, John, and Daisy, where they have a bit of a conversation about it too. I wish we had a third person so we could really do this as a as a bit, it's, but I think it'd be right. confusing. So Oscar says, "I thought Poe and Finn could be boyfriends, but that was not explored." John says, "That didn't happen," and Daisy says, "Sorry for you guys. People feel it though." And John says, "Yeah, they do." <laughs> I just. There's something about all of like the other actors knowing how much Oscar and John wanted it to be canon and saying to them, I'm so sorry that didn't happen for you guys. <laughs> but yeah, there's just something so fascinating to me. And I think this ship in particular is one that made me excited about doing this podcast because I've never seen anything like it. I, I've seen fandoms that are really intensely like, you know, specific about their desires for the ship in how they talk to actors and creators. And I, I've seen intense conversation about queer baiting and shipping between actors and, and creators and fans. I've never seen it come from the side of an actor like this. And it just feels there's something unique about it in a really interesting way. And obviously there's a lot playing into it. Cause I think it's not just that he Oscar, that is thought that would have been the best version of the story. But I think with him and John in particular, there also is this element of, I won't say adversarial. Cause I saw that Oscar Isaac just got another job for like a Disney plus show or something, but there's a bit of a, uh, butting of heads between the actors and the overarching corporation. Right. And it plays out on a grand scale. Um, so on the, on the the flip side of the actors, we have the rest of the creators, our, mm-hmm. our directors and uh, the producer, Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, and what are, <laughs> what are their thoughts about well, this okay. relationship. Before we get into what the directors say, because I have a lot of thoughts about what the directors say about these ships, I do want to address Kathleen Kennedy. Um, Kathleen Kennedy, in her role as sort of the steering producer of this entire franchise now, in probably not quite as involved a way as like Kevin Feige with Marvel, but if you're trying to think of an analogous figure for this franchise, it's going to be Kathleen Kennedy. Um, And as we'll get into the fandom around star Wars is very intense and has a lot of opinions. And at a certain point, Kathleen Kennedy felt that these opinions needed to be addressed. (laughs) And so um, do you remember between which movies it was that she said this? I think it was between seven and because I think part of this is in response to the Rose Tico of it all. So you mean between eight and nine? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. I think you're right there. But she, there was a lot of uproar uh, in the wake of the eighth movie about a lot of different things. And so obviously this quote was left open to interpretation. But she said, in the next six or eight months, we will have some meetings about the stories that we will develop next. After 40 years of adventures, people have a lot of information and a lot of theories about the way these stories can go. And sometimes those theories that come up are new ideas for us to listen to, read and pay attention to. It's clear that the fans are as much masters of this franchise as we are. Now, I think this has a lot to say about our whole discussion here. The whole point of this franchise or this podcast, right, is about how do fans interact with creators? Where are they in this creative process? And what's the deal here? And and here's Kathleen Kennedy saying, you fans are a part of how we make these movies. Your opinions matter to us. We take them into account. And you will see that in like the results of the next film. And obviously, there are so many different fans of this franchise that have so many different opinions. It was not easy to tell which of them were being taken into account, who were the fans that were being listened to. They don't speak with one voice. Um, And it did sort of feel, once we saw the last movie, that the fans that got listened to were a very particular subset. (laughs) Potentially the loudest, most aggressive, angriest Uh fans. Yes. Um, But yes, their results in the last one were somewhat troubling, I would say. (laughs) It felt like if the result of listening to the fans was basically writing out Rose Tico's character, who was reacted to with such vitriol and racism and misogyny and all of the worst things on the internet, And poor Kelly Marie Tran, the actress, was forced off of all social media because of the death threat she was receiving for her presence in the film. And then where we end up in the ninth movie is that she's almost entirely been written out of the movie. It sort of feels like capitulation to the worst parts of the fandom, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean... It, it's it's all a mess. <laughs> but, so, like, theoretically, right, it is good. You do want your fans of Absolutely. the commercial product that you're making to be happy. Uh, and it's always going to be a push and pull between, like, artistic integrity and, and kowtowing to the, to the masses or whatever that yeah. ends up meaning. But, yeah, it, it seems like in very real terms – this just ended up being giving in to the most negative voices in the fandom who are also the loudest. And one thing we'll talk about when we get into uh, the scholarly literature as well is uh, Finn Poe is not the loudest, angriest, most toxic element of this fandom. (laughs) The quietest, nicest corner of the fandom. But yeah, that's, that's sort of also hanging over this whole franchise of how Disney managed, mismanaged, whatever word you want to use, sure. the the vitriol that was coming out of a certain element yeah. of the Star Wars base. And also, right, probably a response to the fact that they did not have a plan for these movies and to not get off on a, on a tangent. If you are writing one movie at a time, which to be fair is a lot of how sequels 
usually work when you weren't yeah. planning for a sequel. Yeah, you might completely change tax. Whereas if you were like, no, this was the story we were going to tell. So we wouldn't do as much to, to change it. It's it's a kind of an interesting place to be in not having a plan for your characters <laughs> and their arcs. Yeah. Well, mistakes were made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we will get back to the specific elements of the fandom and how they reacted to these films and these actors and all of that later. But first, I want to talk about the, what J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson have specifically said about how they wrote and treated these characters, Finn and Poe, and their relationship to each other. Because I have to say, both of these quotes are just fascinating to me. <laughs> there is a lot to dive into. Shall we start with JJ? Yeah. What does he say? Okay. Well, what he says, <laughs> when asked about the relationship between Finn and Poe, hopefully I could get through this with a straight face. Quote, that relationship to me is a far deeper one than a romantic one. It is a deep bond that these two have, not just because of the trial by fire in which they met, but also because of their willingness to be as intimate as they are, as afraid as they are, as unsure as they are, and still be bold, and still be daring and brave. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> <laughs> Please help me untangle this word salad. I feel like I get where he's coming from at the start, though I vehemently disagree with him. But then by the time you get to the end, it's just meaningless words that ha that aren't saying anything at all. Now, yeah. where this, this quote really troubles me is it feels so uncomfortably familiar for a creator to say about two male characters that are being shipped together that their relationship is deeper than a romantic one. This is a variation on a theme that you'll see over and over and over again of the reaction to fans wanting to see queer relationships being met with sort of a response of like, why are you trying to cheapen this relationship by making it gay? It's so much deeper than that. It's more intense. It's more meaningful when that's something that just does not get said about straight couples. <laughs> that is something no director or writer has ever said about someone saying, will this man and woman get together? They never reply with, it's deeper than a romantic relationship. Don't, don't ask me questions about this relationship. <laughs> it's so much deeper than that. And there's something about it that particularly sets me off as being like, just one of the more annoying things he could have said. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that's ultimately frustrating in both ways, like in both directions, right? So it's frustrating that the expectation for a man and woman is that they are going to get together and they couldn't have a like a deep connection that's not sexual. And when that also happens, you're like, oh, that's great. I love yeah. that. And that, probably right within this franchise, the fact that they ended up having Kylo and Rey be romantic at the end was also like, <sighs> why is, no, don't do that. That, that maybe they're, they're literally soul bonded. There's some kind of like weird force triad. If anyone should have a deeper relationship than a romantic one, it should be the two of right. them. Can I ask JJ Abrams why he cheapened the relationship of, of Ray and Kylo by having them kiss? Why was that necessary? That's all. I, I don't want to get in that too much because it will annoy me to no end. So Again, there's no we're trying to, to be real. Staying <laughs> 
the conversation. (laughs) But I think that is relevant in the sense that it's sort of just always happens. Anytime people are looking for queer relationships, they are met with this tall burden of the things that would need to happen to make it make sense for these two male or two female characters to be canonically together. But there is the opposite of a wall, the opposite of a burden. There's no, nothing you it's need like to do. It's like a slip and slide. It's a slip and slide for straight characters, or I, not even straight characters, just male and female characters, that they're going to end up together. That That's where it's going to go unless we stop it in some way. Somebody has to, you know, stand in the way of these characters to keep them from kissing (laughs) because it's just where things are heading, whether it makes sense or not. And that phenomenon is deeply frustrating. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even know what the second half of this quote mean. It's just, once he gets into, you know, uh, their willingness to be intimate and afraid and unsure, but still be bold and daring and brave. I, that's just, we don't know what you're saying, JJ. (laughs) Nobody knows what you're saying. Um, I could go on because I just am triggered by this quote, but I will move on to what is an equally frustrating, but I guess pretty common and and in a sense understandable, but still annoying. <laughs> Quote from Ryan Johnson. So Ryan Johnson says in response to a question about um, people, it was sort of the, phrased as like people really liked Finn and Poe's dynamic in the first movie. Are we going to see more of them together in the next one? And you know, how are what are you going to do with the two of them? And he says honestly. I actually wrote, in the very first draft I wrote of it, Poe went with Finn on the mission to Canto Bight. Is that how you say that? Yeah. And the two of them were going to be together on the mission, Johnson confessed. And it didn't work at all because the two get along so well and it'd be really boring. You're a writer, Ryan. Invent a conflict. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So this is another thing that I hear people say. And this, to me, is not really a, a queer baiting issue or a queer relationship issue. It's a broader problem that I have with how people write relationships in general, uh, romantic relationships in particular. Um, And I think of it as sort of like moonlighting sickness. Mm -hmm. I think that there is this idea in all of Hollywood with writers that once two characters are together, like romantically together, they become uninteresting. And it is impossible to write stories about them that people will care about. And Just I thin man it up, you guys. So fundamentally disagree <laughs> with this argument. And you will hear it from all corners. Yes, you're right. People need to watch The Thin Man and The Thin Man 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 <laughs> and see how you can take two characters that are happily together and in love, make them interesting humans who say and do interesting things and magically... You care about the story. How did that happen? I'm not sure. It's like uh, this writer just made interesting characters and then they were interesting to watch. If I had a quote on my headstone, this is what I want it to be. I say all the time, if your characters are not interesting once they're together, they're not interesting characters. (laughs) 
And I really hope that's on your headstone because it's going to be very confusing for people walking by. They're going to be like, I don't care. I want, it's going to make them think though. They're going to be visiting their loved ones and be like, hmm. yeah, I guess oh, that's true. Yeah. I just, yeah. This argument to me is a cop out. You can't say I couldn't put those characters together and he doesn't even mean romantically together. He means I can't put them in the same scene because they like each other too much. And I don't know how to write characters that like each other. <laughs> the thing the, the thing I don't understand about this is it's obvious to me what you simply could have done. Because I don't think we mean that Rose can't be with them also. And then they can triangulate around her. So one of them can be like, I think Rose has a great idea. And the other one can be like, I don't think Rose has a great idea. And mm-hmm. then conflict (laughs) wow conflict ensues there also is such a thing as external conflict two characters that get along can face various obstacles (laughs) and they will be conflicts in their storyline the two of them can face enemies the two of them can face circumstances that are difficult to overcome the two of them can be separated from each other and then reunited in interesting ways there are any number of storytelling techniques that can make characters that like each other have interesting storylines. And I just don't buy that, you know, it's the fault of the characters for liking each other too much that I couldn't write them together. Yeah. We, we have never written a film to be fair to Ryan Johnson. To be fair. Yes. But it does seem fairly obvious to me that there are ways that you could write an interesting storyline and still have Finn and Poe together and have them, I don't know, explore their developing relationship. That could be interesting. Um, It's an idea. Alas, it didn't happen. (laughs) It absolutely didn't. And honestly, almost nothing happened in that movie. That movie, okay. We're not Uh, discussing it. Let's keep it it moving. (laughs) Yes, moving along. So I would like to dive into the literature, fan literature, scholarly literature, and begin by discussing the fan works to be found as we have been using as our metric on AO3, archive of our own. Um, Every year they put out this handy dandy list of the ranking of how popular every, not every, the top 100 ships on the website are uh, in terms of how many works have been created for them. And uh, overall on the AO3 popularity list, we find Finn Poe at the 89th spot. Um, Obviously without context, that doesn't mean a ton to you, but we will put it in context of the other ships from this franchise. So it is the third most popular Star Wars sequel trilogy. God, that's a catchy title. Uh, (laughs) Star Wars sequel trilogy ship. So the first most popular, as I'm sure you will not be surprised if you know anything about these movies, is Raylo, which is Ray and Kylo Ren. Um, the, they are the 14th most popular ship on AO3, or at least were in 2020, um, with about 36,000 fan works on the site. Then, mind-bogglingly, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, but I am shocked to learn that the second most popular Star Wars sequel trilogy ship is Kylo Ren and Hux. Hux, if you don't remember, because you might not, is Donal Gleason's character in these 
Star Wars sequel trilogy movies. And the two of them are the 33rd most popular ship on AO3 with about 17,000 works. And then we find Finn Poe in third of this group with about 7,000. Uh, can we I have a brief aside? <laughs> a brief aside about these two characters that hardly interact in these movies. What's going on with that other than the self-evident fact that people are really into uh, Adam Driver? That is my main hypothesis for this. I guess Kylo and Hux do fall into like an enemies to lovers situation. It's just crazy. I get it. You love Adam Driver. I think he's a great actor. And apparently... If you don't want to ship him with Ray, you want a queer ship for him, this is what you got going on is Hux. <laughs> but I find it crazy. In my mind, it's like the danger of white men existing in film together. They're going to get shipped, man. I, it, I don't understand. It does, they have to have no interactions to get shipped by folks. I don't know. I don't want to get too much into it because I don't have a lot of insight. I just was shocked to learn. <laughs> I was surprised was as well. I was, yeah. I'm too fair, it was also surprising to me that Finpo was so far down the list. I think, again, in part because Oscar Isaac plays this pairing in particular so romantically. Absolutely. And also just from my own experience as you know, a citizen of the internet, I feel like Finpo is a ship that I hear talked about all the time. Mm. And Hux, Kylo, is a ship that I hear talked about never. So I don't know if I'm just in a different corner of the internet than these folks. But to do our traditional discussion of the most kudos fic in this, um, in this ship, we have what is another very sweet short little innocent fic about these boys called The Coat Thief. Uh, And it is, I'll give you just like the briefest synopsis. It's from the perspective of BB-8. It's in the first movie and you're sort of following through the robot's eyes, him meeting um, Finn. He obviously is Poe's droid. So he at first is upset about him wearing his friend's jacket and then you know titular coat thief in the titular coat exactly um and then over the course of the the fic you know he starts to warm to finn and then by the end when he sees the two of them united he can tell that his pal poe is is interested in finn and he sort of like you know schemes to get the two of them together in a cute little droidy way <laughs> so it's it's very innocent it's a sweet little thing and again we have the question do we think this is reflective of the nature of this fandom for this particular ship so from what we can tell yes and maybe right now we can actually bring in the piece of scholarly literature that we found um mm-hmm. there is quite a bit of scholarly literature about the star wars sequel series but not about shipping specifically they are interested in other things that are happening in the fandom which we talked about a little bit and we're going to talk about a little bit more right. uh, but one thing we did find was this piece by uh, a woman named bethany lucina and she's i think at the university of rochester um, and she wrote something in the washington post about sort of the nature of 
the Star Wars fandom and where there's the most toxicity uh, called Star Wars Twitter biases and social media discussions of characters and relationships. So this is the supporting piece to the to the Washington Post uh, article. Mm-hmm. And sort of what she did was she looked at tweets about Star Wars. Um, she used an existing Google algorithm called the Perspective API to rate the tweets from very toxic to very healthy. Toxic is defined as, quote, a rude, disrespectful, or unreasonable comment that is likely to make you leave a discussion. Uh, she then went back and sort of for a portion of the, the tweets, uh, checked them to make sure that the algorithm wasn't miscategorizing things. So one of the things she points out is that, you know, fans will refer to themselves as such and such trash. Yeah. And the algorithm was like, read that out. <laughs> and obviously <laughs> it isn't. So then she applied whatever percentage she found in the ones she checked to the rest of the, the tweets that she looked at. And Thin Poe is the least toxic ship uh, in the list. And not only is it the least toxic ship, it is just like the least toxic thing people are tweeting about. So for instance, if you look at just the individual characters, uh, tweets mentioning Rose Tico, 19% of them are toxic. Um, Tweets mentioning uh, original and sequel trilogy protagonists, 22% are toxic. Tweets mentioning Finn, 15%. And then you go to the ships, the most toxically tweeted about ship is Finn Rose, which 13% just can't get a win. No. Uh, even Raylo, 10% toxic. And then you get to Storm Pilot, and it is the least amount of toxic tweets, 6.3% are toxic. So, you know, based on this analysis, this portion of the fandom probably not being very toxic itself, but even this particular ship not attracting a lot of toxic attention. And so Which I is think lovely. It that is. matches up with their lovely fan fiction. It does. And so, again, I think we're seeing a little bit of a correlation potentially between uh, these most popular fics and what's happening with the subsection of the fandom that is most interested in shipping. I guess to transition from what you've mentioned, this most of the scholarly literature about this group of films is addressing something other than shipping. What is it that it's addressing? <laughs> Racism and misogyny in the fandom. Yes, that is the uh, elephant in the room of what is going on in this fandom in general. There are, I, obviously it's hard to tell percentages. We would have to do some sort of census of Star Wars fans and figure out who's saying what. But there appears to be, just from everyone's interactions on the internet, a pretty sizable group of do they call themselves fans? Hard to say. They're definitely passionate um, of this franchise that have toxic is a good way of putting it. Things to say about the films, the actors, the storylines, the writers, the directors, the producers, everything to do with what is going on with this. And a lot of them have some racist and some misogynist things to say about, uh, everything basically <laughs> so yeah it's an interesting contrast to the mcu because arguably at this point right star wars is very mainstream these movies make a ton of money everyone is seeing them mm-hmm. but it seems like there's some component of the fandom that still feels it should be a niche thing for them and they're heavily gatekeeping what 
the fandom should be and what the movies should be mm-hmm. and whether or not that's because of like when these movies come, are coming out. And so people have access to Twitter and can really easily voice their opinions. Um, I think one of the, the theories we t- we've talked about is, you know, is it a question of comic book fans were still excited that like they're their niche thing was being adapted to film. And because Star Wars has always been a film series, there's not that same level of like, well, hey, at least we're getting movies. Right. Um, Star Wars films have only ever been this one thing. And then there's a group of folks that were fans of that one thing when it came out back in the 70s and sort of seemed to feel a sense of ownership about the product and uh, strong ideas about what it is and what it should be. And do not want it to vary from that in any way. So that's going back, I guess, right to the Kathleen Kennedy quote. That Mm -hmm. seems to be the element of the fandom that they're focused on. And they are very vocal. Squeaky wheel gets the oil as it is. Rewarded people for bad behavior. um, As -hmm. opposed to sticking with... uh, I mean, I don't even know if they could have stuck with their vision. I don't know that they had a vision, but sticking at least with the the actors they hired and supporting their continued inclusion in the movies in a in a real way. But yeah, Finpo seems to be a nice oasis in the the storm of Star Wars. That's lovely, and and it is interesting that it seems to be you know this pocket of less toxic behavior, which is interesting because you have some non-white characters, which usually tend to draw the toxic side of the internet. But people have seemed to create this sort of bubble for themselves where it's a nice, happy shipping place. And I think that there are obviously a lot of different elements that contribute to that fact. I think probably the, the main thing contributing to that is Oscar Isaac himself. I think the fact that you have somebody deeply involved in the creative process out here at all times yelling into his, you know, bullhorn that this is a this ship is real, it's great, they love each other, they should be canon. I'm on your side, everyone. You sort of have a situation where fans of this ship feel more heard than fans of any other non-canon ship that I can think of, you know? Right. It's like you have someone in a position of authority carrying the banner for you. Yeah, and then maybe that makes it feel like you don't have to yell quite as much because you're like, well, they must be hearing it. Oscar must be saying it to them every day on set. And he's exactly. doing his best. Uh, he's doing his best. And he's, he's certainly doing more than I have the power to do, right? By tweeting at J.J. Abrams. Yeah. One thing that we talked about with the, the Marvel movies as well, right, is how fans can intercede in the creation of films. Mm-hmm. And this is an example, I guess, right, with these, these very toxic fans that it is possible if they're making a, a series of films and you know they're making a series of films that if you rattle the cage enough, you can... Affect change. Yes. Um, but again, you know, to your hypothesis, maybe not to the same extent and for the same duration as a, as a TV show. But mm-hmm. it is an interesting example of another film series. Um, and very similar to the MCU as well, right? This, toward, for this last Star Wars movie, they did say that we would finally get some LGBTQ representation. They're always doing that. Every, every franchise, every time they say, we have heard you. We know that you want representation and 
it is coming. <laughs> we are listening. Just you wait. This new movie will make you feel so seen. And then the movie comes out. And what do we get this time? Uh, two old ladies kissing each other in the background of the celebration scene. One of whom we've never met before. I don't yeah. know who that lady was. Nothing like uh, the representation of nameless characters that you've never met before in the background of a scene. I guess in this case, at least we get a kiss, unlike the Marvel movie where we just get a guy who says the words, my boyfriend, and that counts as representation. So what you're saying is progress. (laughs) Slow and steady, guys. (laughs) The arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. So again, this exists in a climate of films that do not have good representation of queer characters. Um, And you sort of understand why there is a longing for that in this world. Um, But it's nice, I guess, that in this case, it's seemingly being expressed in a pretty pleasant, friendly way. Well, I think think that's what we got with Star Wars. It's more about the, the reaction than the canon in this case. So is it time for us to ask the question? It's time for the question. The question being, is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? What do you got for me? So I think there's actually a couple of things going on here. I think it's not, oh, a straightforward answer. I'm with you on that. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of queer baiting. I think what we just talked about, right, with them being like, we're going to do it. We're going to do LGBTQ representation, guys. Just you wait. Yep. Is pretty clear queer baiting. But I think unlike the Marvel movies, right, for whatever reason, they are not writing as clearly of a romantic story and as many story beats and just like really being like, this is a central relationship. So I think there's just by virtue of there being less text, there's sort of less queer baiting within the actual canon of the story. Mm -hmm. But I think we're also seeing some queer coding in Oscar Isaac's performance. I think Oscar Isaac is coding his character as queer. Where I come out on this one is if we count actors as creators, which I think you sort of have to do because the writing only gets you so far. uh, This is a queer coded ship. It's kind of hard to get around the fact that Oscar Isaac is producing this content with the intention that you will view his character as in love with Finn. (laughs) And uh, I mean, to a lesser extent, maybe, but not to no extent, John Boyega is doing the same. These two actors are intentional. They're intending for you to watch this movie and think those guys love each other. (laughs) And in my mind, that's queer coding. I mean, it's obviously nobody in a position of writing power ever intended for it to become canon. So you're definitely getting a little bit of queer baiting going on. But in my mind, we got some queer coding going on here. And so I think, right, if we if we use our test for this story of if we gender swapped one of uh, our, our couple, Finn or Poe, would they be a couple? I'm of two minds about that. Um, there's so little development of the relationship in any way that it's hard to say. That said... They're very romantic hugs. Like uh, if male and female characters are hugging with the sort of neck touching going on with these two, I think people are going to assume there's something romantic going on there. I don't know about you. Uh, I wouldn't say we're to the extent where it's like 
an obvious clear cut case that if one of these characters was a woman, they would everyone in the world would assume that they're supposed to be together. I don't know if we're at, at that point like we were with Stucky. Yeah, I think, well, you know, it's, are we falling into what we were talking about earlier of you have a man and a woman together and they have a bit of a, a zing to the relationship. So right. uh, history tells us that, yeah, they're going to end up being a couple. And I think, right, if you look at the way these movies are made, especially the first movie, everyone knows it's basically just a new hope over again. And so Finn and Poe are Han and Leia. Those are the characters they're mapped onto. Yep. And presumably, if one of them was a female, they wouldn't be throwing all these random other characters they've just made up as they were going into their paths. Yeah, they would just lean into it like they did with Han and Leia. Adorably, we have found on Tumblr a uh, compilation GIF set of moments that are sort of exactly the same scenes with Han and Leia and Finn and Poe. And I got to say, it's it's pretty compelling evidence <laughs> for the argument that if one of them was a woman, they probably would be together. There's so many scenes that mirror the exact scenes. I just think the only way uh, I'm the only reason I'm not 100 percent on it is that I can envision a world in which a male and a female character spend 15 minutes of screen time together and have like, you know, a couple of cute moments and they don't end up together. (laughs) Well, again, right, that would be preferable. But that's the thing that happens a lot is you have these stories where just like, you're like, why did these two characters end up together? They barely know each other. So anyway, I think, yes, probably they would be. So the gender swap test does it again. It's a pass. So then why, what happened here? Why is it not a canon relationship? Right. We may be, we may say it's a little, it's a small amount of queer baiting. It's mostly queer coding, but we agree it's not queer canon. So why Mm -hmm. isn't this canon? I think I, so I have one hypothesis this time. And that is, it was a corporate decision by Disney because they didn't want to have queer characters so they could, again, sell this movie overseas in countries where they can't have queer characters. Mm -hmm. That's my hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Do you now, have any other takes? I think that's the, always the main reason in cases like this. Uh, I wouldn't say that there was a strong desire on the part of the writers and directors to make it a canon relationship. I don't think it was a situation where, you know, J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson, had they not had the foot of Disney on their necks, immediately would have made these two characters get together. I, I think there probably was not a ton of interest on the creative side other than from Oscar Isaac badgering them into it (laughs) that would have led to the characters getting together Uh, because we sort of are still up against the fact that this world is heteronormative in every respect at all times. I don't know that it even would have occurred to them (laughs) that they should be together were it not for Oscar Isaac yelling about it at all times. (laughs) Yeah. But once Oscar Isaac started yelling about it, they could have they could have listened to him. <laughs> they could have listened to him and the world would have been a better place. Yeah. I think I think for me, right, all sort of complaints about what they did or did not do with the characters is undercut by how bad these movies are. And so like But again, we're not getting into we're it. We're not. But like no one <laughs> almost no one has a satisfying character arc, no one has satisfying character development in any which way. So it's like, I don't even know what they were trying to accomplish. Well, again, I feel like we're in a very different place 
without getting too much into the details with this than we were with Marvel, where generally the fans and also you and I are more satisfied than not with how the story is told, right? And you can pick out elements that maybe aren't done as well as they should be, but it sort of holds together as a piece. Yes. (laughs) In a way that in this case, it's like, yeah, we have our quibble about Finn and Poe, they should be together. It feels apparent they should be together, but it's by no means the only issue. And it's not a situation where you're like, they got everything right. How did they mess this up? I've heard this said, and I agree with it. If you had just had Finn and Poe kiss at the end of the third movie, or you know, when they when they have their hug in the third movie, however late into it that is, it would have you would have had to change nothing about the entire storyline of all three movies in terms of what happens with them to make that make sense, right? I don't think anybody would have been like dumbfounded by that happening. And also, if you wanted to air the movies in China, you could have just cut that part out, (laughs) right? It feels like a pretty easy way to accomplish something with your movie that would have satisfied a lot of people and made it feel worthwhile to have watched these movies. Because when's the last time you saw a big budget studio billion dollar movie where the two guys that you wanted to get together actually got together? I've literally never seen it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to think about that one. That one's a thinker. (laughs) (laughs) So okay, Um, where do we should we do our queer baiting scale since we don't necessarily think there was elements of queer baiting. So I guess we can do our queer baiting scale of one to five or one is, I don't know what these fans are talking about. There is nothing in the text to supporting this relationship. Also, mm-hmm. Oscar Isaac, I guess in this case, we would be addressing. <laughs> and five is, everyone knew what they were doing. They were queer baiting so hard, and they were being jerks about it. This is a tough one for me, because since I, obviously there are elements of queer baiting, I think there's not a lot of text to support it, but there's huge evidence to support it from Oscar Isaac's side from the J.J. Abrams Ryan Johnson side it feels like fairly minor queer baiting I guess um maybe it's like a two (laughs) you know I I can't really go to a place of I don't know what the fans are talking about because Oscar Isaac's there telling me that they are queer coded characters and you should read them as such yeah um but I'm again, give it a yeah a two for that J.J. Abrams quote alone. That is just oh. like absolute nonsense. Like say something, yeah. J.J. <laughs> Honestly, if he had just said, "Yeah, I don't see them that way," <laughs> I would have been less say upset. That. <laughs> just commit to something, man. Because then we'll be like, okay, well, we disagree. can each read characters different ways, I guess. But yeah, like I will never except as a reasonable response guys it's a deeper relationship than romantic but they're still able to be so bold so daring and intimate and so (laughs) vulnerable and whatever (laughs) as afraid as they are as like it's a two for that quote alone if nothing else happened Mm -hmm. to jj abrams yes Okay, it is settled. A two on the queer baiting scale, uh, but really more like queer coding than queer baiting. Yeah, I agree. The verdict passes. Yay, we've come to a conclusion. Yay. <laughs> so what's happening next time on Let the Boys Kiss? <laughs> next week, uh, we have a different situation. We're leaving the Disney 
universe and we're entering a whole new world. That doesn't sound uh, like leaving the Disney universe. That is universe. actually... We're back in the day. We're doing The Little Mermaid. We're talking about Flounder and Sebastian. The whole new world is uh, Aladdin. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> We're talking about Yaga, uh, the, the tiger. <laughs> exactly. Uh, anyway, we're talking about Lord of the Rings, which is, I guess, not a new world. It's an old world. And it's going to be an interesting one because we have different opinions about this these we set of do. movies. Uh, but also, I think it's going to be interesting because we're going to have to take a slightly different approach. Obviously, with Marvel, we focused on one particular ship. Here, we're focused on one particular ship. Lord of the Rings, we're going to, we're not going to focus so much on one particular ship. We're going to talk a bit more broadly about. Well, there are just so many to so choose many from. Men. So, we're going to talk very broadly about the shipping culture in Lord of the Rings and, and what was happening with the fans and creators. If you can cast your mind back, all the way to the late mm. 90s. Early O's. Yes. I have a vague recollection of that. <laughs> the year my brain I was alive thinks then. it always is. So when you say to me something happened 30 years ago, I'm like, ah, 1970. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're never going to be clear no. of that. Uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting. It'll be a, an interesting discussion uh, for multiple reasons, mm-hmm. I think. But we will get there. I'm looking forward there. to it. <laughs> all right. So what if people want to get in touch with us? I hope they do. And they should email us at ltbkpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Tumblr at ltbkpod. New episodes of Let the Boys Kiss are released every other Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>